Before we get to today's show, I want to ask you all for a big favor. Make sure you leave a rating or review. If you listen to the podcast, if you get value out of it, let us know. Leave a rating or review for two reasons. Number one, it helps other people find the show. It makes sure that we're climbing up the charts. And number two, it lets us know that we're doing something right. I read all the ratings and reviews. I want to know what you guys like. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids and hashtag making it. You can talk to me. I want to know what you guys think. Now let's get to today's show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. What's up, guys? JD here. And today I'm going to tell you about a woman who at the age of 17 dropped out of school, had a baby, and worked as a Playboy bunny just to pay the bills. And now, today, she is the richest self-made woman in U.S. history. I'm talking about Diane Hendricks, and you guys are going to love her story. A few weeks ago, I put a message out on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I gave you the highlights of Diane Hendricks' life. And I said, do you guys want a podcast episode on her? And resoundingly, the answer was yes. You guys really want to know the in-depth story of Diane Hendricks. I'm going to give it to you today. I'm going to go over a couple minutes about her childhood, her upbringing. Really, that stuff's kind of boring to me, honestly. I'm just going to give you the highlights to give some context to what happened later in her life. I'm going to talk about how she met her husband, who of course was pivotal in her life, the tragic story of how her husband passed away, and what happened afterwards that drove her to eventually becoming what she is today, the richest self-made woman in US history. Okay, let's get into it. So Diane Hendricks is born in 1947 on a dairy farm in rural Wisconsin. By all accounts, had a very nice life. She says she had a beautiful life, living on a farm, nice, big, beautiful house. And she had a working family. The way she describes it, her dad didn't want her as a girl to do man's work, quote unquote. So she had to do more domestic, indoor work. But she always wanted to roll up her sleeves and do more. And she was very ambitious. And she actually says that from a very young age, she wanted to go to the city and she wanted to wear a suit. So she has clearly a lot of ambition, a lot of drive from a very young age. And things take a right turn in her teenage years. At the age of 17, she gets pregnant with her first love. Her first love of her life gets pregnant, brings it to her parents. And her parents say, listen, you've got to do the right thing here. You've got to marry him and you've got to settle down. And she's 17 years old. What does she know? She does what her parents tell her to do. And she does just that. She doesn't finish high school. She actually gets her diploma studying at home. And on her 18th birthday, her and her husband move to a different part of Wisconsin. And she starts taking up odd jobs. She works at a Chrysler plant. She works as a waitress. There's a story that she worked as a Playboy bunny, although it's only in one source in her early biographies. You don't see that anywhere. So it could be that she was a little too embarrassed to admit that. 10, 20 years ago. And in more recent articles, she actually does say she worked as a Playboy bunny. Anyways, no shame in that. Works as a Playboy bunny to make ends meet. And before too long, really within two or three years, she decides, you know what? This life isn't for me. This is not what I want to be when I grow up. And in a very short span of time, around the age of 21, she decides that she needs to be able to support herself she works towards getting her real estate license. And in the meantime, she actually sells new constructions because I guess selling new constructions, you don't need a real estate license. So she does that as a job. She's getting her real estate license. 
She divorces her first husband. And that all happens in a very, very fast time frame. And then immediately after, she meets Ken Hendricks. And this is where the story gets really good. So she meets Ken Hendricks and the story of how they met and how they started dating is interesting. I'm not going to get into it here. But the one thing that caught my eye about this part of the story is that Ken, when on their first date, there's a story where he has leftover food and he doesn't want any of the food to go to waste. So he gives half of his uneaten sandwich to somebody else. I don't know if this was another patron or a homeless person. And this seemed to have left an impact because Diane describes it as very charming. And it seems like that kind of shaped their way of living, which is like, we're not going to waste stuff. We're not going to be gluttonous. We're not going to throw things away. We're going to be very practical and very economical in our approach. And I feel like that sort of shaped a lot of the future stories, as you'll hear in just a minute. So I'll spend a minute here talking about Ken Hendricks because it's hard to understand Diane's story without understanding Ken's story. He dropped out of high school in the 11th grade, traded in his textbooks for a hammer and nails. And he had a background through his father of doing roofing. So he spent his childhood laying shingles, working alongside his father. So he clearly came from a background of roofing, which is the business that they eventually got into. So Ken, in his business, by the time he meets Diane, has a roofing contracting business. It's pretty large. In the 1970s, This business has 500 workers. So Ken's running this company. He's doing quite well. Now, Ken and Diane team up and they start buying real estate investment properties. So they start buying single family homes, double family, triple family, and fourplexes as well. And they'll buy them pretty cheap. So their strategy was buying homes for as little as $10,000, rolling up their sleeves and fixing them up. So these guys have a really hardcore work ethic from a very young age. Diane says, I painted about 200 units all by myself. So clearly growing up on a farm, having that work ethic, scringing and saving money, these guys bought a lot of property in just a few years and built up an investment portfolio for themselves. Now, I'll pause here for a second because I want you to understand something right now. What we're actually talking about is these two people. One could be described as a teen mom. The other is a high school dropout. Okay. And these two, if you just saw them on paper, nobody would think twice about them. I mean, who thinks, who thinks they're going to have any success at all in this world that we live in? But these guys are going to go on to have massive, really unparalleled success. So the point that I want to make here is your early education and what happens to you when you're 14, 16, 18, 21 really doesn't even matter once you get into your 20s, 30s, and 40s. People can shape up and do amazing things later in the midsection and the later section of their life, regardless of what they were like as teenagers. And this is something I see so often with people who are young and maybe they've gotten into trouble as kids or whatever. Listen, guys, it's nonsense. It's bullshit. I don't care what you were doing when you were 15 or 16 years old. When you're 33, none of that's going to matter, as we can see from Diane Hendricks' story. Okay, let's keep going. So at this point, they're very entrepreneurial. They're starting... They have the roofing company, Ken's Roofing Company. They're flipping properties. They have a trucking operation. They're renting, of course, all their properties. And they decide to open a wholesale store selling carpets and appliances to other landlords. This is their new business. They've also got five children. Ken has four children from his first wife. Diane has one child with her first husband. So they have five children together. And they're running what seems like about five businesses right now. 
And right around the early 1980s, they achieve a level of financial security where they can take a breath, take a pause, and figure out what their next move is going to be. And that's where we get into ABC Supply Co. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. And so the idea for ABC Supply was really based on the insight that you needed to have a better manufacturing and distribution system for roofing and for all the things that go into roofing. They did a lot of research and they kind of figured out exactly what they needed to do. I know one of the things they wanted to do was offer phenomenal customer service. They wanted to have convenience. They wanted to have variety. They started with one store, but their ambition from the very beginning was to have 200 stores. And ABC Supply, by the way, stands for American Builders and Contractors Supply. Selling siding, windows, doors, tools, and equipment, that kind of stuff. Now, one of the early bumps in the road for ABC Supply was that they had a hard time with people taking them seriously. So again, going back to what I said a minute ago, we're talking about two uneducated people here. One didn't finish high school. One kind of finished high school, although she finished it at home. She had a baby when she was a teenager. And here they are. And at a certain point, around the time they were opening their fifth store, the bank decided they didn't want to do business with the Hendrixes anymore. They weren't 100% sold on the idea. They didn't know if ABC Supply would be a flash in the pan or if it would be around in 10 years. And so they really had a hard time securing the funding they needed early on to grow. Now, they pushed through, and the number they got to within three years was 33 stores. And I love this. Diane says, I thought that was slow. The 33 stores was just not fast enough based on the ambitions that I had. So we can see here, someone who's really pushing hard, someone who is relentless, and to open 33 stores in three years, to me, sounds absolutely mind-boggling. To her, she thought that was a little bit slower than she wanted to go. So fast forward, 1986, the company's expanded to 50 stores. They've got $103 million in annual sales. They're growing, growing, growing. By 1994, they've got 100 stores nationwide. And before long, they had a billion dollars in annual sales. So here we are from 86 down to 1998. That's how long it took them to reach $1 billion in revenue, annual revenue. Fast forward a few more years, ABC Supply in 2006 has 345 stores, over 6,000 employees, and now they're doing $3.1 billion in annual revenue. Okay. So it was around this time in 2007 that tragedy struck. And, and this is a kind of a, I mean, very sad and sort of an unbelievable story. So Ken was at a business party, came home, wanted to check something on the roof of his house, went up to the roof, falls through and passes away that night from head trauma. So this guy who built his fortune, built his life in roofing, ironically and incredibly tragedy, dies falling off a roof. And at this point, Diane is in a really, really tough spot. Those on the outside would look at her in a tough spot. And you know, I would too. Here she is as somebody who built her life with this man. 
business partner, family partner, life partner. And now he's gone and she's still a relatively young woman. She's got a lot of years ahead of her and she's at the head of this very large company. What is she going to do? All of a sudden, she's got the weight of a multi-billion dollar enterprise squarely on her shoulders. And before long, a lot of companies were lining up to buy ABC Supply. Now, everyone thinks she's going to sell, but she's not going to sell. No, no. She's actually going to be a buyer right now. So there's this company out there called Bradco Supply, another roofing company with 130 stores, about $1.5 billion in revenue. She, and don't forget, this is around the time of the financial crisis, 2008, 9, 10. And what does she do? She goes out and actually buys this company. And the deal brings ABC to 480 stores in 45 states with revenues exceeding $4 billion a year. So she's now gotten a lot bigger than she was just a few years back. In 2016, she buys another store, L&W Supply, for $674 million. And now they've got over 700 stores. The latest numbers I've got, sales in 2021 were $15 billion. And Diane owns 100% of the company. Okay, so that is the story of Diane Hendricks. And I want to make a couple observations here because a few things struck me about her life that really stand out. So for one thing, let's just talk for a second about the resilience here. Having a baby at 17, another part of the story which I didn't even get into is that she actually beat cancer twice. She loses her husband and life partner very suddenly. She is not somebody that that is well-educated or comes from an elite or privileged background by any means or any definition. Yet she absolutely uses brute force and resilience to push through and become something that nobody, nobody would have thought she could have become. So the piece of resilience here, I think, is an example that we can all look at. And in our lives, when we're you know, sort of feeling sorry for ourselves or feeling like we're not up to it, it happens to all of us. Think about the kind of resilience that is possible in human beings. And Diane's story is an example of that. The second point I want to talk about is the absolute love of work. And this was interesting because you know, you could look at her today. and She's in her 70s. She's the richest woman in America. The richest self-made woman in America, I should say. And you could look at her and say, well, you know, she could just hang up her shingles now. Everything will be fine. But you could have also said that in the 1980s, right? Part of the story here is that this couple, they took $900,000, which is all the money they had in the world, all the assets they had, and they collateralized it in order to get the bank loan in order to buy the stores that became ABC Supply. Back in the 1980s, they could have actually coasted. They had a lot of businesses. I mentioned the trucking company, the rental company, the roofing company. They didn't need to keep going and build ABC Supply and then continue to acquire and then continue to open stores. So the absolute love of work, and this is something I think people don't recognize when they say, well, you know, how much money would you need to retire? How much money would you need to become financially free? A lot of people who do very well in life can retire very early and they choose not to retire. And financial freedom doesn't really mean anything other than being able to do what you want with your time. And if the thing that you do with your time is work because you love to do it, you know, they say you're a workaholic or when are you going to retire? It's a catch-22 because the thing that got you to the place where you could retire young is exactly what makes you not want to retire young. Dan Hendricks absolutely loves to work, still goes to work at 7 a.m. every day. 
And the last point that really struck me was her appetite for risk. On so many occasions, she put it all on the line. I mean, and I'm not talking later in life. I'm talking when she was 17, 18 years old, 21 years old, 25 years old. I mean, just keeping moving, moving, dropping out of school. I mean, this wasn't exactly a choice, but dropping out of school, getting married to her first love, then divorcing him, then getting her realtor's license, then marrying Ken and getting into business with him, and then leveraging everything they had to build the next business and doing it again after his death more than one time. I mean, the appetite for risk here, I'm not sure if this is even a good thing, by the way. Like, you know, putting it all on the line takes a lot of guts. And it's one thing to read it. This is something else I'll tell you from personal experience. It's one thing for someone on the outside to say you put it out on the line. I've had experiences in my business, for example, where I've quote unquote put it all on the line, but the risk didn't feel like very much to me. It actually didn't feel like a risk. I remember when I put years ago, I put hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I basically cashed out all the money I had in the world in the banks and in the and in investments. And I put it all into my company to keep my company going during some tar- hard times. But I knew I was 99% confident. I wasn't delusional at all because I was very skilled at business then as, as I am now. And I knew, no, no, this is not a risk. I have a greater risk leaving this money in the stock market than I do putting it into my company. I will be able to turn this into many millions of dollars, which is exactly what I did. So I think the interesting thing here is you look at appetite for risk and you see someone who takes quote unquote risks their whole life. But just because something is a risk on the outside doesn't mean it's actually a risk to the person doing it versus the other things that they could do with their time and money. I absolutely love the story of Diane Hendricks. I've loved telling you about it today. I want to know what you guys think. Get me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids, R-E-A-L-J-O-N-D-A-V-I-D-S. You can get me on LinkedIn, John Davids. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. My handle is at John underscore Davids. I'll see you on social and I'll see you back here next week.